Thank you. You're welcome, sweetie. Have a good day. The demand for healthcare professionals who deliver both comfort and critical care is growing. FindNursingSchools.com connected me with an accelerated Bachelor's of Nursing degree program in my area with expanded capacity so I could complete the program in 16 months. Now I'm on the path to an in-demand career that offers job stability, flexible schedules, competitive pay, and the choice of where to work. Visit FindNursingSchools.com to begin your journey today. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka. 
bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gulda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiecka. Hello, my visionary friends. Thank you for joining me, Gwilda Wiecka, on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading esoteric and scientific experts supporting the co-creation of a better tomorrow. You, dear audience, are part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. This hour, we'll be exploring working from home, evolving online communication. Due to COVID-19, many of us are suddenly confronted with holding classes, sessions, and meetings online. Having been a teacher with years of experience speaking in front of large groups, I was shocked at the enormous adjustment working in cyberspace required. Holding my first Zoom class, I was suddenly confronted with sitting alone in my living room, facing a webcam and speaking to electronics rather than people. To top it off, I'm camera shy in the extreme. For the first time in years, I was tongue-tied. With the second wave of COVID looming, it occurred to me that many of us need some new tools to evolve the way we speak and connect through an impersonal electronic modality. With all the isolation, how can we personalize and humanize our online communications? How can we reach out and touch our people heart to heart to ease their way in this frightening new landscape? With us today to delve into the topic of motiv- is motivational speaker and public speaking coach Milo Shapiro. Milo left 15 years in IT to pursue his then 18-year passion, applying improvisation to business practices and personal development. His teamwork course, Team Improvising, um, involves communication, boosts innovation, and builds community. With 10-plus years in the National Speakers Association, this motivational speaker and public speaking coach has entertained and educated through lectures, classes, and improv-related speeches, delighting audiences nationwide. Milo is the author of Public Speaking, Get A's, Not Z's, Public Speaking for Teens, Get A's, Not Z's, and The Worst Days Make the Best Stories. His website, miloshapiro.com. Milo, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. And thanks for that beautiful introduction. That was really nicely done. Oh, thank you. So what is your educational background? (laughs) Not what you would think based on the things that I do currently. (laughs) I went to school for computer science in the early 80s. So my first career was COBOL, CICS, DB2. Even computer people may not recognize these old names. But that's what I went to school for and, and, and what my first career was. Okay, interesting. So then, what did you do before becoming involved in improvisation? Improvisation. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) It is. I can't Uh, get my mouth wrapped around it today. I was a computer programmer. My my life took me up to upstate New York. That's where I went to college and got my first job. I was working for the Department of Medicaid, and which is the New York equivalent of Medicare. Uh, and then I went from there to the Department of Motor Vehicles, where I was helping program computer programs to help the judges find run the courts and it was all very interesting within the world of information technology and then i came out to san diego on vacation and said i do really love my job but i think i love this city more so i uh, i quit my job there started 
doing, uh, took a job with San Diego Gas and Electric as a computer programmer, helping them track hazardous waste systems throughout the, system, the, uh, the company, making sure everything was handled environmentally. But this was my day-to-day job for, for a long time. When I discovered improvisation, though, I just fell in love with it. And that's what I ended up doing with all of my weekends and my evenings and even my vacations going to study in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Calgary, Edmonton to just get better and better at improvisation. So I was running this dual life where by day I was a computer programmer and for the rest of my life it was all about how much I loved improv. So would you mind defining improvisation for us or improvisation? improvisational speaking. <laughs> well, now I'm stuck with it, huh? <laughs> sure. Well, initially it wasn't improvisational speaking. It was improv in terms of performance, kind of like the TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway, for people who might have seen that. Uh, up until first seeing improv in 1990, uh, I was at a, a meeting of a group called Laugh Masters. It was a kind of a variation on Toastmasters, which we can come back to later, the pros and cons of Toastmasters. But it was a humor-based Toastmasters group, and they brought in as a guest speaker a little improv troupe. It turned out they were just a class that were excited that anybody even wanted to watch them. But I had never seen improv before. All I thought improv meant was stand-up comedy because of that TV show, Evening at the Improv, where no improv ever took place. It was all stand-up comedy. And although it was a great show, they confused people forever about what improv was. And now it's more common, so people know, that improv is about when two, three, maybe more people are coming up onto a stage and creating a scene on the spot based on some suggestion from the audience. And if we use that suggestion enough, to color the scene, the audience really gets, we didn't lie and pretend we wrote this in advance. We couldn't have because we're using their ideas. And there are different improv games, physical restrictions, verbal restrictions, all different kinds of fun ways to play with how can you make something up on the spot. There's even musical improv where you have to, the musician starts playing and based on perhaps the last thing was said, you have to burst into song. And I just, from the first time I saw it at that Laugh Masters meeting, I said, oh my gosh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This looks like so much fun. And I approached one of them and said, how, how does one learn to do what you're doing? And she said, well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we're really a class, not a troupe. You should call our teacher. And so that was 1990. Uh, I started taking classes with Jackie. Those classes led to other classes and led to me getting into my first troupe that I auditioned for. And then finally, the co-founding of San Diego Theater Sports. Theater Sports is an international troupe of of improvisers in different cities who follow a certain format of improv where two teams compete and we okay, founded so, the san diego so chapter us, in 93. T- tell us a little about uh, about team building using improv improv <laughs> i can't even say it <laughs> improvisation i did yeah, it yeah. uh so in what jumping forward a long way i discovered that there were companies around the country that were starting to use improv team building and that really appealed to me much more than what i was doing in it and what these companies were doing i, I came across a website of one of them was using the games to help people focus on some of the things that make us better improvisers to help us be better co-workers better teammates better uh, at, at creative thinking on our projects so there are games that help with listening skills there are games that help with creative problem solving, as I mentioned, or nonverbal communication recognition, because some games you have to try and pick up on things that other people are doing based on their physicality. So you become very attuned to the other players in improv. We can transfer those skills to being attuned to our coworkers. And so often in the team provising course, I've had people stop me between the games and say, that last game, that's what happens in our staff meeting. Or I have a client who does that to me, and it's not funny then. How do we do this? And so through the games, we start processing real work situations. Okay, so then you, it's just kind of like um, uh, role-playing in a way. 
Uh, I we have occasionally used role playing, but it's really not. If I want you to play a game, I'm just gonna make a person Bill. If if uh, Gwildan and Bill are in a scene together, that that has them. You're a baker. He's a customer, and we're playing out it. Well, that might have nothing to do with your real life. You're not a baker. He's not a customer at a bakery. But through that scene, he might notice things that you do with your nonverbal cues, like maybe you're stiffening your body up. So he might say to you, "Did I say something wrong, ma'am? Did I do something to upset you?" And then, as the baker, perhaps you will say, "Yes. Nobody asks for bagels this early in the morning." Not that is not role play for your life. But it was a moment when Bill noticed what you did with your body. And he reacted appropriately to, to say, did I say something wrong? So very simple example. But I don't consider that role play because it's not what you do in your real life. It's okay. about picking up skills. Right. So how does improvisation, improvisation, <laughs> improvisation. <laughs> and, Improvising. It's one less syllable. <laughs> and inspirational speaking relate. So after doing the team improvising course for a while, with mostly groups of 15 to 25 in that range, people from the classes kept saying to me, you should do this with bigger groups. You shouldn't just do this with the small groups. Yes, it's nice that you can give us immediate feedback, but this would be great in like a motivational speech setting where you get the whole audience playing these games. And I thought at first, well, but that's not being a motivational speaker just to lead them in games. But I mentioned this to someone at an improv conference one time, and he said, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm the president of my National Speakers Association chapter, and these other people are right. You just don't know. You need to get involved with the National Speakers Association. So I did, and I learned about the, the art and the business of motivational speaking and realized that as long as I have a message to deliver within a speech, I can also get very interactive in that speech. So I have a speech called We've Got to Fail to Succeed about not having to be perfect all the time and being willing to just be really thrilled when 85% of stuff goes right or getting a B plus is terrific sometimes, especially if you had to make it up on the spot. And in that speech, for about half the time that I'm with the audience, if it's 300 people, I'm pairing them up and having them play games in their seats. So that's 150 pairs playing a game. And then I run around the audience, eavesdrop a little bit, and then go back up onto the stage and discuss some of the things I noticed happening in some of the pairs. I don't pick anybody out to embarrass them. But I share with them some of what I noticed. And it's typically beginner's mistakes. And they start to go, oh, yeah. And in about half an hour, it's not as much of a growth experience perhaps as a whole day with me doing team provising but still I can make a few really good key points and it livens up a conference and gets people thinking about something and because they've played together they often have a better time at the conference and become friendlier with the other strangers there well we're just about ready for a commercial break but on the other side I would really like to say okay now how do we take this and apply it to the problems that we're facing today with communication and isolation so you game Okay. Right. Milo and I will return shortly, so don't you folks go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net.
How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Mnemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Mnemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Exposé Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. Path Home Shamanic Art School has just launched a new online series of classes, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow. In these classes, composed and taught by Path Home founder and director Gwilda Wiecka, you'll learn practical shamanic skills to support your daily life, such as how to build a medicine wheel to access the power of the earth, perform a shamanic journey, create sacred space in which to live and work, empower your life with totem animals, elementals, and fairy folk, and learn the art of accurately reading signs and omens. These tried and true skills are the key to living a powerful, productive life. Visit us at findyourpathhome.com to see the ever-growing collection of classes and leading-edge information to support you during these times of uncertainty and transition. All can be found at findyourpathhome.com. Again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about the challenges of speaking in cyberspace? 
This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, Out-of-Body Information, Prophetic or Delusional? C.A. shares, Other than repeatedly advertising her books and website during the first three segments, Marilyn Hughes had no solid data to offer. While your solo commentary at the last segment was packed with information that was grounded, useful, and profound. The latter revealed your obvious command of the subject, while Mrs. Hughes clearly has none. Well done, and thank you. Thank you, C.A. It's never fun having to terminate an interview, but we take the quality of information delivered to our listeners very seriously. Curious, dear audience? Visit missionevolution.org archives for out-of-body information, prophetic or delusional, and give us your take on it. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. With us this hour discussing improvisation and storytelling is Milo Shapiro. His website, miloshapiro.com. Okay, as promised, Milo, um, here we are in 2020. Uh, Shall we call it the year of unique challenges? (laughs) What do you see as the main difficulties we face in team building and communication during the enforced isolation from COVID-19? And hopefully that can be more prophetic than, uh, what was the word you used? <laughs> that was very yeah. funny. I forgot, I, I was ready, had it in my head, but I started listening to you again. Uh, delusional, I hope I'll be less delusional than some other people. <laughs> so uh, in these times, so there's a whole, that, that question involves a whole lot. There's the speaking, there's the dealing with these times, there's the being creative. So I gotta figure out which aspect to go with. In general, this is a time that we've watched an, an incredible level of creativity from people. I, I see things in 2020 that I didn't at all in 2019 in terms of people going, I don't have the resource that I did before. I don't have the people in front of me. I don't have the ability to touch things. I don't have the ability to stand next to How can I cope? And for some people, it's been overwhelming and no question, but it's been wonderful watching how people are saying, since I can't do this, what can I do? And that really gets its roots very much in improvisation. Improvisation, because we are making it up on the spot, we don't have the ability to get into the other person's head. I might have a great idea in a scene where I think that uh, that you and I are race car drivers for some reason. And then you say something about, can you take that off the stove, honey? Well, okay, we are not getting into a race car, so I have to let go of the idea I have and immediately build on yours. The thing that I thought was an engine apparently was a stove, and I've got to switch gears. And so I think the people I know who've done improv have expressed to me in talking that they are just jumping on board, whatever happens. Where do we build from what I have? It's a mentality called yes and. Whatever is, is. You can't change what is. So you say yes to it and you build from there. And it sounds like a skill that we've really needed all along and now we're being forced into it. Unbelievably so. My improv classes were full of lawyers and engineers and people of teachers, all different things that were not like theater people. These were people with day-to-day jobs and they would come back to class next week and like, you're not gonna believe this thing that happened at work and how I handled it. And people would say time and time again, they were getting on their performance reviews, how adaptable they were, how inspirational they were to people, how even keel they were because they weren't thrown by things as much as people who hadn't had an improv background. Well, isn't, isn't life what happens while we're busy making other plans and missing it going by because we're attached to the other plans? And this time. this year has just thrown us one curveball after the other. Um, what suggestion can you offer to help us successfully hold classes, sessions, or meetings online? Oh, that's a big leap. Let's go to that. Uh, <laughs> I think that we need to start 
really not running away from any technologies that that come their way and it's no fun having to learn a new technology i don't want to learn how to new one i just want Microsoft Word to do everything. Well, it's not going to do everything. Uh, so, you know, you and I are on Skype today, and this was great for recording this call. But what I found was Skype was the way I was meeting my long-distance clients, and we'll get to that in a bit about me being a public speaking coach. But Skype was okay. Now that I've taken the time to learn Zoom, kind of had to because so many things out there were, were happening on Zoom, and I had to learn it. I discovered this is a way more powerful tool. Screen sharing? You mean I can have the person put their script on the screen and I can look at it instead of having them keep reciting sections back to me? I can put a, a PDF on the screen and show it to them instead of having to email them and wait for it to show up? So Zoom for me has been amazing. Well, what's the next step? It might be doing Zoom webinars where I don't have to worry about 25 people's microphones turning on and off because the microphone, because we can spotlight one person. Well, so you know, we can, we can certainly, we can certainly see see the um, advantages of the advanced technology, and particularly now when we need it because we can't be together in person. Okay. However, there, what I'm finding is there are also, let's look at it, some challenges. The very things that you were talking about doing, reading body language, if you just see in their head, you're not necessarily able to read body language. And don't you just kind of get a feeling from people when you're in the room with them if they're starting to have difficulty? Well, that's not available. How are we going to work around that? Sure. I've talked to therapists who say this has been such a hard time for them to try and do online counseling for people because they said there's just something different about being there. And that's probably the ultimate example of we must look for every little clue, every little tidbit of information that we can use or what nuance of tone to be able to think of the next thing we're going to say to that person is a counseling session. So there are limitations. I don't think anybody is ever going to say – I'm so glad I get to do this on on Skype or Zoom instead because it's just so much better. We don't have that luxury. So we say, okay, what benefits can I get from this? And then how can I adapt my skills to be at, at that height? I think there's a reason people are Zoomed out, the phrase I keep hearing in terms of people being exhausted by it, because it takes so much more out of us to watch what we see on screen. To be able to, to focus on that person, to re recognize that we're being watched even when we're not wanting to be watched. And all I can say is get a good night's sleep, be ready for it, give yourself breaks, take care of yourself, eat well. But yes, you're going to have to put more of yourself into being present. You can't be checking your email while you're connecting with someone if you want to get those little nuances. And how, you know, because we're, we're, we've lost a lot of the visual. We only get their head and their face. Right. Right on. We don't get to see if they're fidgeting or squirming. Um, and we've kind of lost a lot of that heart to heart connection that you get when you're in the same room with a person. How can we compensate for that? Is there something, is there a way to listen to the tone of their voice to, to that sort of thing? Can you help us there? Well, it's something we certainly should have been doing all along. It's, it's more important than ever. But I love the fact that since we are using these tools instead of being on the phone, because that's when we were away from someone in the past, we didn't jump on Zoom as easily. We got picked up the phone. So at least we have more clues with, with Zoom than we did with that. And every step of the way, we have been eliminating all of the tools that are so important for communication. The worst one of all, texting. How many people do you know who have ended up in fights with their partner because you said such a, well, I didn't mean anything by that. I, in my mind, that sounded like that. Well, that gets lost with, with texting, which is shorter than email, which was less than a telephone call or the voicemail, which is like a, an archaic thing for some people. Younger people aren't even checking voicemail anymore. They say, don't, don't even leave it for me. I'll call you back if you called me. So we have all these tools 
that weren't working well and we were relying on them. At least having the, the Zoom allows us to watch the person, to hear them carefully. Um, another thing is good sound quality. I love that you guys on, on your team did a sound check with me to make sure I wasn't going to be a crackly mess or a muffly mess to you because when the sound quality isn't good, we want to tune the person out. So we have to be at our best given the limited circumstances. How much do you think that uh, you were speaking about how uh, people have gotten more and more and more and more shorthand with their communications to where they don't even check voicemails and they just would just as soon message than pick up the phone and call? How much do you think that's impacting us now that we are really isolated and trying to flesh out our communications? Well, I think it's it's become a bigger part of our day to be present with people on things like Zoom. I mean, at this point, I will only plan a phone call with someone typically if I need to be doing something else at the same time, like with a friend, if I want to be gardening while I'm talking or getting some dishes done, then I'll use the phone. But more times than not, I'll say, oh, we need to meet. I'll send you a Zoom invitation. That's my go-to now. I would never have thought to say that even as recently as January, unless it was some key reason to see them. But because of the isolation, because so much is getting lost, and because I can count on the fact that the person has Zoom, it's been a while since I've said to someone, let's get on Zoom, and they've said, what's that? Or I don't have that yet. Um, I'm sorry, the other line was ringing. I'm going to hang up on that. <laughs> I didn't have a chance to turn that off. Uh, so that gives us a chance to have more connection by using the tool. It's not going to be perfect. And yes, we're going to have to listen more carefully for tone. Don't know how to tell you how to do that. But to notice that that's what's going on. So if we're listening to a person's tone, how, you know, what, the other thing I've noticed is people are kind of uncomfortable being on, on Zoom and, and being in front of a camera and, and they get more stiff and it kind of affects the way they communicate. Are you able to factor that in and how can we put them at ease? I think when people are in those conversations with us, if they seem uncomfortable, we can use more levity. We can be more relaxed. We can uh, make a joke about something. I think we just being open about what's going on, not not treating the elephant in the room like it's not there. Just saying, is you know, isn't it tough? To, to have to talk like this or when there's a distraction. I had somebody's kids run through the room. I saw actually someone whose kids literally jumped on her head and were playing around on her while she was doing a sales pitch. And she acted like it wasn't happening. Uh, and, and I think she, if she had just made a, a joke about it or something like that, that would have helped. But instead, she acted like it wasn't happening, and I don't think anybody heard a word she was saying. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, we, it's time for another up a quick pause here. Milo and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. 
Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion, a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of readings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships. Not only love, but work, school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com. $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call one 702 8598. That's one 702 8598 Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let the fun of dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in the fun of dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire leading-edge, information-packed, past-episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our guest this hour is Milo Shapiro. We're speaking about tools for speaking in cyberspace. His website, miloshapiro.com. Milo, we were talking about tools for speaking in cyberspace and how many adjustments that we have to make. How can we personalize and humanize our online communications to combat the feelings of isolation many are experiencing? I think the fact that we know that we can reach out doesn't mean that necessarily we do. I think a lot of people are isolating because they don't want to bother other people. They feel like, oh, you know, I'll just shoot a note. But that when you shoot off an email, you don't break that feeling of being isolated. So picking up that phone or scheduling that Zoom call instead of just saying, I, I can live without, I can manage without, gives us that opportunity. Uh, also joining groups. There are groups that meet online where you could be looking at 
10 or 15 people at once and participating, it isn't quite the same. And there's no way of getting around the fact that no one on a Zoom call can give you a hug at the end of the meeting when they say goodbye. But it's something. Uh, I've seen different groups where people have said, you know, this is the first time I've spoken to anyone this week, actually, or seen anybody because I had food delivered and they left it at my door. And that's a shame because there are opportunities. It, it, I think it's um, a huge issue, uh, that isolation piece, uh, when we don't have to be so isolated. Um, I know I dropped my dog off to, to get groomed, poor thing, and my groomer and I, who were friends, we had to stand quite a distance from each other. We're both wearing masks. I can't see what her expression is doing. She can't see what mine is doing. And it's like, well, there you are, but where are you really? And it's almost more personal to then go home and give her a call on Zoom and see your smiling face than what we're confronted with on the street. So I really like the fact that you're pointing out that these tools really need to be used. Doesn't it also, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only camera shy person out there. How can we encourage people to kind of work with it frequently enough to get beyond that? Sure. And I want to bring up, go back to something you said about the masks, because uh, we went on to another topic for a second. Uh, the masks are really making it hard when we're in public because everybody just seems like this pair of eyes and they seem to be staring at us or glaring at us because you can't read into anything else. You can't see someone smile. So I have taken to waving to strangers, even at close proximity, just so that they can get the sense of, oh, he's friendly and oh, he's he's connected to me and he's probably smiling under there. I even have a mask where I drew a smile on it so that it would imply, hey, friendly person, because everybody just looks like bandits out there. Who would have thought we'd ever been at a point in time where you could walk into a bank with a, with a mask on and people would think that was normal? That was the, the sign that you were being held up once upon a time. Uh, so in terms of connecting with each other, can you restate the question? Because I went back to your previous point for a moment. Um, yeah, how, how can we encourage people to use these um, modalities of communication that involve being on camera uh, when a lot of people are not real comfortable being on camera. Yeah. So the first, it, it's not going to go away. So the first thing to do is say, stop and ask yourself, what don't I like about it? And which things can I mitigate about that? If you're uncomfortable with the background that they're seeing behind you, say, okay, that's probably going to be my background most of the time. What can I do about it? This isn't going away. If you're concerned about your hair, say, okay, what can I do about that? It doesn't mean that I'm going to be on a lot and I'm just getting out of bed sometimes. I need to be able to have a a shorter haircut, or I'm going to have a certain hair scarf that I wear for a lot of my call. What can you do to mitigate the fact that that's going to be a factor that comes up? Uh, in terms of just plain nerves, I think people are going to start getting over more for conversational because it'll start to feel more normal. Right now it's new and new things are intimidating. But if it's about presenting on Zoom, then it may be that if you're uncomfortable presenting on Zoom, that you weren't really as comfortable presenting in the first place in person. Uh, there, are, there seems to be a sense that, well, Zoom is more casual, so I don't have to be as good a performer on Zoom to present as I did in person. And it's actually the opposite. We have to try that much harder to be engaging when we're a little box on a screen. Even if we get the full screen, if we're lucky enough to get that, it's not like being there. It's not like the person is sitting in a chair in their audience, a captive audience, and they're going to watch you for as long as they have to. They can even be on another screen and look like they're looking at the camera and you, but they're really checking their email. You can't tell the difference. So we have to be at our best to engage. And I think if people work on that, and that's one of the things I work on with my coaching clients, is being 
your best, whether it's the material or your delivery, so that we hold people's attention. If you get good feedback, if you get people saying, that was really great, then the more you hear good, the more you go, oh, well, that wasn't so bad, and your stress levels go down, and you stop presenting it and start looking forward to it. Well, here's another side of, of, of that coin, is um, oftentimes when we're on Zoom and we know we're being recorded, um, it can be, we can be uh, really nervous about messing up and, and making a mistake and being seen as, as clumsy. How do you work through that one? Honesty. It's, if we make mistakes, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge it. For instance, we're all home-based now, so we have far less control of certain things in our, in our environment. Uh, literally, as your engineer said, you know, countdown 10 seconds, someone started using a leaf blower outside. Nothing I could cajole about that. I mean, I did close the window, so hopefully you didn't hear it. But if it had been so loud, I just would have had to say, this is part of what's going on right now. I can't do anything about it. I'm sure there's only so many leaves to blow and it'll stop as soon as we can. Or when my phone rang, just to say, sorry, there wasn't a chance to turn off the base because we had some technical problems, but I turned it on. I hung up on the person, got one ring, and we went on. And acknowledging it and moving on. It's tough to do. Nobody wants to seem unprofessional, but ignoring the elephant in the room is always worse. Can we actually transmute it into something positive? Absolutely. If that woman that I mentioned who had the kids climbing on her head, if she was doing a program, let's say she, it was a sales pitch. I don't remember what it was on, but let's say she was a vitamin salesman. And if she instead said, I have the energy to deal with these two kids jumping on my head and still talking to you today. Why? Because of ABC vitamins. I think it's the reason I can get through the day sometimes when I have two people like this trying their best to drain my energy. It's not going to work. The vitamins help. If she had worked that to her advantage in that moment, and that was improv, by the way. I didn't plan to talk about that. Uh, that would have been a great moment, and everybody would have remembered her vitamins. Instead, nobody heard a word that she was saying because she was acting like it wasn't happening. So work mm -hmm. it to our advantage. There was another time I had a, this wasn't online, but the same sort of thing. I had a huge banner fall behind me on the stage. It was probably 20 by seven and made of vinyl. It could have hurt me if it had actually fallen on me and knocked me down. But I took the last thing that I said, made a pun about it. The audience laughed and I said, let's just leave that on the ground there because moving it off the stage will be more distracting. There's plenty of room for me on the stage with that there. And we just went on. Had I tried to pretend a 20 by seven vinyl thing had not fallen on me, all that would have been happening was people would have been thinking about that and wondering if I was okay. Right, exactly. So once you've acknowledged it, then there's no longer the elephant in the living room, right? Yeah. It seems yeah. like such a straightforward thing to say, but people don't do it. They're so afraid it'll look unprofessional. Be unprofessional. Be human. I think clients and coworkers appreciate a little bit of humanity in us. We try so hard to get to team building, to humanize the workplace. We can do it by simply acknowledging nobody's lives are that perfect. How, how do you see the new reliance, and a little change in direction here, but how do you see the new reliance on electronic communication affecting us long term? I think we're going to want it more. And the same, it's hard to imagine wanting it more right now because we're feeling overwhelmed by it. But once we try and go back to all live, I think people are going to miss some of the things that they found were advantages of this. So work is going to be a little bit more of a blend. For instance, there's a networking meeting that I go to that everybody at first was saying, well, it's sure better to see you here than not at all. But now that we're in the third month, fourth month of meeting online once a week instead of in person, people are starting to say, you know, I really like this. I feel like I'm better focused. I like that the waitress isn't bothering us to take our order while we're trying to meet. I like that I'm in and out in the exact hour instead of hunting for parking and driving down. So I think you're going to see a blend of people using these technologies 
and not. I bet once rush hour picks up again, even some of my local clients in public speaking coaching are going to say, hey, I know it's only 15 minutes normally to come down and see you, but I heard there's a traffic jam on the 805. Could we just go and do a Zoom session today instead? So it'll become a, a tool in our tool belt once we actually still can meet in person. You know, my, my sincere desire is that we um, start to blend it so that we aren't creating more pollution at rush hour and running around and, you know, when we don't have to. You know, we, we burn a lot of gas, we make a lot of pollutants, and we stress ourselves out when really if people would start to accept this format at least part of the time, we wouldn't have to do it. So would that be one of your trans, you know, transforming this, you know, lemons into lemonade? I sure hope so. I mean, I know so many people who are saying, I can't believe after three months and people starting to go back to work, my commute is still half of what it used to be. And I think it's because of the work at home thing, not because of the out of work. That's a factor in there. And the parents not taking kids to school is a factor there too. But I think a lot of it is the jobs at home. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I've ended up on tech support for a ton of stuff or contacting my, my local utility and those kind of things. And I don't care if that person is at home as long as they've got access to the same information they had in a call center. In fact, yes, occasionally there's a barking dog, but you know what I don't hear is the people on the either side cubicles of them. So in some ways, they're at an advantage as long as they can create a good home-based set- setting. And yeah, it's wonderful that the roads are less crowded and the air is less polluted and all of these things. Let's see if we can do it. A lot of companies are saying, why are we making people come in? This is working. And it's an experiment that never would have happened if it hadn't been forced upon us. And forced upon it, it was, right? Oh, yes, very much. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sometimes that's what's required for change, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody would have been willing to say, let's try a national experiment of seeing if work at home works. So I'm not saying that was a good thing that we had to go through it, but maybe some good can come of it. It's, you know, like you said, the lemons from lemonade. That's all we can ever do. And it's really up to us to do it, isn't it? It is. (laughs) It is time to take another commercial break. Milo and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. What happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. 
As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. GeneX provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. ancients knew what we have forgotten. In order to be empowered by nature, one must be aligned with the way life works. We've become increasingly disconnected from the earth and her cycles to our extreme detriment. The medicine wheel ceremony is an ancient rite practiced by shaman worldwide to recalibrate their people with the powers of the universe. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, at the Galactic Shamanism Retreat this spring equinox, March 18th through the 22nd, in the beautiful Colorado mountains. During this life-changing three-day medicine wheel training, you'll learn to build and maintain your own cross-cultural shamanic medicine wheel to promote manifestation, health, and personal power. Empower yourself with the wisdom of the ancients. Contact TouchIn at findyourpathhome.com or call 303-775-3431. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Milo Shapiro. His website, miloshapiro.com. Milo, one thing that I have noticed that you do speak about that I would really like to get into here because I think it can be a wonderful tool for us is storytelling. Could you... uh, would you go into the importance of storytelling for us? Sure. Uh, stories have a way of lodging in our brain in a way that data can't. And in speeches, a lot of times people try and unload so much data on their audiences that eventually it's hard to absorb. And the facts that they are sharing aren't making the impact they want to. But if we can take that data and tie it into a story where the moral of the story is the thing we want them to get, what happens is that stories traverse both sides of the brain and make a larger impact like like digging a path back and forth if you're walking in a forest you do it enough times you're going to see that path well that's what's happening whereas data tends to reside on the left side of the brain and continue to get processed there so those neural pathways are stronger when we tie them to stories if you think back to your childhood you could probably remember the lessons of the uh, the the tortoise and the hare or the, the boy who cried wolf, even though you probably don't remember being told the story, but because it was tied into a story, the lessons of slow and steady win the race or don't tell lies, they stay with us. And being able to craft a good story is a, is a wonderful art and skill that people, if it's not innate to them, can learn. It's one of the things I teach people in the public speaking coaching work that I do. So the um, 
uh, as we as we bring storytelling into cyber communications, can it flesh out what has been sterilized out by the fact that we're not in person, they're not seeing our body language, you know, they probably can't even see our eyes up close, but the story, can it engage on that human level in a way that's kind of been taken away by the new modality? It absolutely can. It's having the courage to think that people will want to sit through a story. And time and again, what I'm seeing is they will. They'll listen to you and they'll give you the chance to tell that story through as long as they feel like you're going someplace. So that's one of the things that has to be clear that I am getting to a point. I'm not just off on a tangent somewhere. And if you come to a point and people go, oh, now that's I see now why she told me that story. They will give you that chance the next time. We have to earn that trust a little bit. So perhaps at first keeping your story shorter until people have learned to have that trust with you is, is valuable. But having the stories and having a few in mind, so you don't have to think of them up on the spot. If you know you're going to be addressing a certain point, think of what are a couple of stories from my life or from our, my interaction with this person, something that people are going to relate to so that they will go, yes, I see. It's, how it's how much important more is it uh, that it's something that you have real, real um, um, association with, you know, something from your life versus something that you've either made up or looked up or... Um, uh, repeated after somebody else. Sure. I mean, there's no harm in repeating to somebody else except, that, well, there's two things. One is it's not fair if it's somebody else's actual, like, story they tell on stage that you're stealing that story. But let's just say it's somebody else's story from your life. Sometimes it's fine to do that as long as there isn't any risk that the people there have heard it. If my best friend told me a story about something that happened to her in the store earlier today, and I thought that's a perfect point for my clients today, I think it's okay that it didn't happen to me, and I don't have to change the facts to make it happen to me. But if you heard something on the internet, there's a good chance that somebody else has already seen that forwarded to them, and then it just kind of feels like, oh, he's just kind of regurgitating stuff if right. it happened in your life nobody else could have heard it so you know it's going to be fresh and then there's the other side of the pitfall how can we make our stories make sure they're useful rather than just being all about us and not of interest to others well don't share a story if you're not getting to a point with it <laughs> unless you're just uh, you know shooting the breeze with someone after the work is done and to say what's new with you kind of thing then that might be fine but i sure wouldn't share a story that i didn't think there was a point that i was working toward that was the reason i was sharing that story either in a presentation or even in a in a conversation if it's a business conversation and uh, you know i think that's a pitfall people fall into they get so busy talking about themselves that there is no point outside of kind of pounding their chest and boy that turns people off pretty fast doesn't it yeah it, it, that and that isn't just now on zoom and the rest of that that's just in life we need in conversations to be in more inquiry mode than in display mode so if there's a chance to find out more about this person before I take a turn. And also, it's nice if eventually they go, but I've been talking about myself for a while. Tell me a little bit more about what you did with XYZ. So then you have a little bit more permission to go on because they feel like, well, I've, I've hogged the conversation a little bit. Whereas they didn't. You were encouraging them to do so. What do you see as the most important story we're all living now? Uh, I think if how we're all handling what we're going through. Everybody's having a different situation, whether it's that their business is down. I know some people whose businesses are up, whether it's about the isolation, whether it's about outreach we're doing, whether it's about coping mechanisms, whether it's about admitting a day that you just were losing it. These are all stories that everybody has their own version of, and yet almost everybody can relate to. 
you don't tell a story so the person says, yes, I've been in exactly that position. You tell a story so somebody can go, I had a similar feeling about something like that too. And they, perhaps they'll share back so you feel that connection. So it, we, we can take advantage of what we're going through right now to make that work. I think that we're in the process of making history. Um, this has been such an unprecedented year. And some of the things that are going on, you know, we're seeing a lot of polarization and rioting. And, you know, to quote a former president, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Mm -hmm. As a communications expert, what do you think is really going on with all of that? If, let's go back to the first part of what you were saying, which is that, yes, unprecedented in, in so many ways. I think in 2050, 2060, people will talk about 2020 the way we talked about 1945. It's just going to be one of those years where where things change. Or 1941 <laughs> uh, ended in 1945. But we're, it, there's going to be no way not to look back on this and say, wow, America and the world changed at that time. Uh, how we are going to incorporate that into where we go from here remains to be seen. We're just going to have to learn the lessons that we that we do. Uh, hopefully, we're learning lessons. Sometimes I look at the news; I'm not quite sure we're learning as fast as we should be. Uh, but to to apply what we can as best we can. I'm not sure if I answered your question or not in there. Well, you got one of them. I asked okay. two at the same time. I apologize. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> so, so the the second question was, um, you know, with all the polarization and rioting and everything going on. We're not communicating with each other, and it seems like everything's being, like you said, text messages or this or that. Everything's being misunderstood. You're a communications expert. What do you think is really going on with this sudden breakdown in communication, and how can we correct it? I think people are feeling such strong feelings that they're not in listening mode. And we are, we thought we thought we were polarized before this. This just added like two or three more things onto the 2019 plate of not listening very well and being polarized. So that didn't help. Uh, but we're also, one of the things I'm noticing, not so much with the COVID, uh, but, but with the Black Lives Matter and the rest of the issues around that, is there seems to be an opening of listening happening. People saying, wow, you know what? This is making me aware that I wasn't listening as much as I should have before. Maybe I should take time to stop and listen before I speak. It's happening. Uh, we're, we're more conscious of the times when it doesn't happen, when someone gets out there and puts their foot in their mouth again, because that's what resonates. But there's a lot more people who are saying, it's my time to listen and ask a question and then sit back and listen some more. And I'm, I'm hoping that'll lead to some good change. I've already seen it in some people. So we'll see. Time time to listen. Huh? So, yeah. With so many people pitted against each other, how can we use team building skills to mitigate the conflict? <laughs> Not having taken people through the course, it's interesting to say which skills we would use. But I think that some of the skills that we want to get from team building are paying more attention so that we incorporate things other people say. If people feel like we didn't catch what they said, there's a frustration factor. So if I can reference something you said 20 minutes ago as part of what I'm saying, it really shows that I paid attention and that appreciated by the other person. Uh, asking questions that are based on maybe things that they didn't say, but what we saw. You know, I noticed a few minutes ago when you were talking about such and such that you you started kind of playing with your hair a little bit, like that topic made you a little bit nervous. Was there something I said that, that was uncomfortable about that for you? Starting the inquiry. And if the person says, no, I, my, my hair is too long right now and it's driving me crazy, you can both have a laugh about it. But if the other person says, well, yeah, you actually did pick up on something. I didn't want to say anything, but so to, to start that paying attention more. And improv is a great, that's why I use improv for team building, because 
the paying attention level has to be so high. We have to be paying attention to if somebody named us, where they said I were, something that you just do with your hands. If I go, what is she doing with her hands right now? Oh, she's making a sandwich. We're probably in the kitchen. I had to be watching for that. So the level of paying attention needs to be higher than ever since we're not in people's company. And engaging the other person, like even through reflective listening, so that yeah. they know that you are listening and you do hear them. It's It's got to be hugely important at this point, doesn't it? I'm using so much reflective listening with clients because I think it makes them feel pulled into, ooh, wow, he really heard me. Maybe maybe I need to be really hearing them. I, I actually take notes sometimes, which is harder to do than it used to be on the phone because they can see me yes. doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, unfortunately, Milo, unbelievably, um, we are out of time. And thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. I'm glad you contacted me. Our guest this hour has been motivational speaker and public speaking coach Milo Shapiro. Milo is the author of Public Speaking, Get A's, Not Z's, Public Speaking for Teens, Get A's, Not Z's, and The Worst Days Make the Best Stories. His website, miloshapiro.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time right here as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world. 